Good morning. Uh, since I actually missed church yesterday, taking care of uh, the girls in the house uh, with Aaron being out sick, I, I'm going to preach the sermon I planned for next week, but I wanted to give a devotional kind of along the same lines as the podcast from last week. I've, I received a number of responses from people uh, that were encouraging, but also confirming that you know this is a struggle, siloing in relationships and drawing lines is a struggle that we all have. We, we like to be comfortable. We like to be with people who think like us. Uh, and then we then tailor scripture uh, often to match us with that. There's a few things that were shared with me that I want to share uh, with you all. That there's a great line uh, that says, we tend to elevate our comfort in this world above our divine connection. And man, that hit me. Uh, really hard because you know we we want to be cordial we want to have uh, be nice to our acquaintances uh, you know I think about the people asking Jesus well who is my neighbor and Jesus talking about what does it mean to be neighborly but they say you know this comment back to me from one of our sisters in the church this idea of divine connection that, that God has invited us into relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then as we step towards Jesus, we actually step closer together because we have a divine connection that each of us carries the image of God. And we are all image bearers of God. And so when we start from that place of divine connection, we have to elevate our divine connection above our comforts in this world. But what we tend to do is we elevate our comforts uh, above that divine connection. And if you challenge my comfort, then I slide into the next thing the same person said is, uh, you know, we when you challenge my comforts, I, I lean into righteous indignation that I want to feel comfort and safe in this world. And so I'm going to lean into righteous indignation when my safety is challenged. And that if you don't keep that in check, we, we tend to take up arms against one another. Um, the, another thing that was shared with me from someone else uh, was a, actually a social science um, you know, evaluation of society that we, we've kind of lended or tended to move into tribalism. And this is happening more and more as you look around. We're, we're heading into tribalism where uh, we're drawing lines of fellowship very harshly in this world. And the church should be a place where those lines are actually uh, turned into bridges. In the social sciences, uh, you know, a lot of people, and there's a bunch of names here that I won't get into. If you want some resources, email me and I'll, I'll shoot you some stuff. But but the the social science evaluation of culture is kind of showing that uh, the challenge of groupthink, that when you get into siloed relationships, um, this echo chamber that you get into causes you to actually go to your extreme, that when you think one thing and then you get into confirmation bias with a bunch of other people affirming that, yes, we are we are the ones who are virtuous, we are the ones who are right, uh, you're actually going to lend more and more into the extremes of what it means to to be in in that group and so uh, the more people you're with that think only just like you 
the more extreme you're going to become in those views. And, and we see this with denominationalism, um, you know, through my early childhood in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I remember the fights between the different churches and, you know, you go to Bible class and, you know, Bible classes sometimes were focused on, well, here's why the Methodists are wrong and here's why the Baptists are wrong. And well, we all know how that the Catholics are wrong. And instead of saying, okay, well, their knees bowed to Jesus, um, what do we learn from them and how they're reading scripture? Because they, they actually do love God and they do, um, they do want to follow scripture. And so they're reading things differently. How do we learn from them but instead we get into a tribalism that that divides us and and we slide into uh you know evaluating scripture by saying stuff like well the truth will set you free and obviously when we say the truth will set you free uh, as scripture says what we mean by that is my truth and and what i believe is true and how i view history and what you know et cetera, et cetera. instead of positioning ourselves uh, in the position of James, where he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, so we get into this, you know, the divisions of denominationalism and, and the fights that were happening that, you know, when we were in a Christian society where you just, everyone was assumed to be Christian, instead of uniting in our commonness in Christ, we, we cause divisions in denominations and and all, you know, there's a basis of good in these divisions that each each one of us actually wants to follow Jesus so well that that we think we're right, and, and we want to be faithful in following Jesus, and so we we actually drew lines where Jesus actually meant to draw you know draw bridges, and so I I don't want to draw lines where Jesus intended for bridges to be, and so when I think about taking steps towards one another. What does it mean to find our commonality in Christ? Uh, one of the things from our movement in Christianity, the Restoration Movement, um, that I, I absolutely love is, is it was actually intended to be a unity movement. I, I think we've largely failed at that because we can't even unify within our own branch, uh, let alone unify with other Christians. But the, the intention of the movement was a unity movement and one of the the common sayings early in our movement was, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Or in all things, love. And, and this saying of in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. Is saying that let's, let's unify on the essentials. Well, then we fight over what the essentials are. <laughs> <laughs> then we show absolutely no liberty uh, over non-essentials. Well, and we, we surely don't show love to one another because those people who disagree with me, don't they don't love Jesus, and they don't respect the Bible, and they aren't serious about the Bible. And, you know, we say these things and we believe these things if we're not careful. Uh, and so what does it look like to take steps towards one another uh, to remove lines where Jesus intended bridges. And I heard this uh, quote from Walter Brueggemann. He's a uh, well-respected and well-known uh, Old Testament scholar. And he he's, a I think, a, a wonderful critic of American Christianity. And he's, he's one that's kind of helped me keep my, uh, my foot centered and founded on the gospel as I look at, you know, Christianity and say, okay, how do we, 
How do we as faithful Christians move back towards the gospel? He has this quote that I think is just, oh man, it it hit me hard. I want to share it with you. It says, the crisis in the U.S. church is almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has everything to do with giving up on a faith and discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a common generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. And what he's saying that is we, we've settled in on a Christianity that is, uh, is more centered on our comforts and our place and position in the world rather than centered on our baptism. And this is why all year I've, I've tried to get us to focus on Philippians 2, uh, largely 1 through 11. Uh, but this narrative of Jesus, uh, this narrative that's laid out in 5 through 11, should shape everything we believe and do. And, and if we believe something that, that runs contrary to this narrative of Jesus, uh, we should challenge what we believe. That Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I'm going to see, I've got this, I've been memorizing this, and I, I've been struggling to say it out loud to other people, but Philippians 2, 1 through 11 says this, um, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion to make my joy complete by being of one mind sharing in the same love, being one in the Spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but uh, consider each other better than yourselves. Do not seek your own interest, but each of you look to the interest of others. And then in verse 5, it starts with this. In your attitudes towards one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, have the same attitude, have the same uh, ethic, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, a slave, being found in the appearance of uh, of humankind and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, that this narrative uh, is the baptism that we're baptized into. We, we take on this narrative of Christ and we begin with our relationships with one another. That when we look at one another, we have the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus. And I lay down my ability to be right and my desire to win, my desire to be right for the sake of unity. That doesn't mean we don't need to have hard conversations, but the, the thing I'm really advocating for is this. Are you drawing lines where Jesus intended bridges? Are you seeking unity with sisters and brothers in Christ? Or are you seeking comfort? In your desires for this world, 
Are you drawing division or are you seeking unity? Because the church is the embodiment of the body of Christ. I think about 1 Corinthians um, you know, 11, 12, and 13 all together, um, where Paul holds up the, the communion and says, this is who you are. And really going back to chapter 10, where it says you're one body because there's one loaf. And chapter 11, he says, you know, this is a practice, communion, the Lord's Supper, that should be unifying you. In chapter 12, he goes into, well, you know, can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? And then in chapter 13, the, the very well-known love passage that's not actually meant for weddings. It's actually meant for the church. Love is patient, love is kind, and so on. He's saying, you come into this place and you unify on Jesus' work in our lives. And we unify in lifting up Christ as Lord. Uh, and Jesus, in, in the Gospel of John, he says, when, the, when I am lifted up, I'll draw the whole world to me. And we have to ask ourselves, church, what are we lifting up? Is it our own comforts? Is it our own politics? Is it our own desires for how the world should be? Uh, I think about... When I, in my desires for what the church should be, uh, I'm continually convicted by a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer where he says, those who love their idea of the church will destroy it, but those who love the church will build it. So we're, we're called to love one another as, as John 15, uh, Jesus has called us to in this new command. And in this love, we build bridges. We position ourselves in positions to listen more so than speak. And, and when we build these relationships with people who think differently than us about how the world should work, we, we actually become better people and less extreme. And in our steps towards one another and being able to listen to one another and to hear one another, uh, we discover the depths of God's love on a whole other level. And so I want to end with this. In Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul then goes on in the next chapter to say, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We've been called to unity. We've been called to love. So, I, I, wouldn't I want to challenge you this week. 
to reflect on this old saying from our tradition, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. What is it that is essential that we have to unite in? And then take stock of your life. Evaluate the things that you're passionate about. And ask yourself, are these essential or non-essential? Where can I let go of being right for the sake of unity? Church, let's love better together.